Hello everyone, this is Isha here and a big welcome to today's podcast session with Sandeep, Principal Agile Consultant and today he will walk us through some of the unanswered questions in Agile. So Sandeep, tell us, like shed some light on uh, why does the term, very term itself, Agile Coach gets a lot of bad press these days. Like uh, does he just need to be an Agile Coach or does he need to have like other professional skills as well? What is the importance of the Agile Coach, of an Agile Coach in general? Could you please shed some light on that? Well, it's basically Agile Coaches who actually act as a change agents when any organization gets starts with their Agile transformation journey. Right, so for an Agile Coach, right, it's only not about having knowledge on Agile or any particular framework or scaling method, but I definitely believe that a lot of professional scaling uh, coaching skills is required in order to be successful as an Agile coach. So a lot of soft skills, uh, like what I call is as uh, a seven uh, habits of a successful Agile coach is what I call, which is required in order to be an effective uh, when it comes to coaching and uh, in an organization. Okay, sure. Uh, so that was really great to know, but then definitely we would like to know more. Like what are these seven habits an agile coach needs to really cultivate to be a coach in pro true sense, not just nominally. So what are those seven habits? So I would say the number one is asking powerful questions. And number two is engaged listening. The third one is having good observation skills. The fourth one is being able to give a good feedback, right? So which will actually help an individual or a team to embrace the change or whatever it is, right? The next important point is uh, helping uh, coach or individuals or team set their goals. Uh, a coach should be able to help explore different options which is available. And the number seven point is challenging the assumptions. So to summarize, it's asking powerful questions, engaged listening. The third point is observing skills. The fourth point is providing helpful feedback. The fifth point is having different options because any problem can be solved in different ways. So you have to explore those options with your teams. The sixth point is, uh, to be able to set good goals, right? Uh, the SMART goals is what we call. The seventh one is challenging assumptions. Sure. So on this note, we would also like to know more about, like what are typically, like you have been conducting a lot of training in the past and also there are, there must be like a lot of upcoming trainings. So typically what are the mistakes you have seen agile coaches committing? Like when they, people, when they usually do not have these seven habits, typically just like two or three. Uh, from my experience, what I have seen is uh, our own internal judgments, right? Uh, it's about uh, having a knowledge about any good framework, right? So you tend to get biased towards a particular framework and particular. So uh, that's not the way that it has to be, right? So at the end of the day, uh, you have to, as a coach, understand the needs of the team, the needs of the organization. And you as a coach help them in achieving those outcomes which is required as a team or an organization, right? So you are basically acting as a catalyst and helping them to basically achieve those uh, outcomes, right? So that's how I can put it across. Yeah, sure, definitely. Uh, so that was about an agile coach and the roles 
he should be playing as a coach a professional coach a coach who is a good listener as well a good listener a good judge a good observer basically there are this like n number of roles especially the seven crucial roles a coach must play and let us not forget a coach above everything he should be the catalyst he should act as the catalyst and i'm sure that was a giant inside platter thank you so much sandeep we shall definitely explore uh, more about the listening skills of a coach and how he walks the reverse paths like how he does not just answer the questions but also maybe he questions the answers so definitely we shall explore more about these topics in our upcoming podcast thank you so much thank you So welcome back this is Aisha here once again and we have with us Sandeep principal consultant who will be talking about the seven habits of agile coach filtered to how an agile coach should do should walk the reverse path in terms of asking i mean questioning the answers instead of answering questions we already have covered Sandeep a lot of things about like how Agile has definitely captured the spotlight and the stage these days. It has been really the power player in the market. So definitely the agile coach, he pres- he plays a crucial role and questioning assumptions or questioning the established answers, the answers, the rules that have ruled so long, definitely. Uh, so I would like to know your take on this. So one of the important traits that I see a coach should be having an, or an agile coach should have is about asking powerful questions. The reason being, uh, the moment I provide answers for each and every question, what happens is the solution also will be owned by me. If you want the team to take the ownership and act as per their needs, it's important to question them. Right? So that's how you actually invoke a thought process uh, within an individual or a team or in any context for that matter, right? So it's all about taking that ownership. If you want an individual or team to take the uh, ownership of the task or solutions, then it has to come from them. So the moment I start giving the answers, it will be like uh, I will be the bottleneck for the system going forward, right? So you don't want to do that as an agile coach. Could you give some like examples, like some real life examples from this, maybe from your past experience, from your training? I mean, just one or two examples. I would say the questions, I can divide it into four categories. The first one is whenever you're questioning, always ask open-ended questions, right? So it means that you should not ask a question which is like, can be given an answer in one word or two words, right? So the moment you ask why kind of a questions, right? One is the other person will look at it as a uh, challenging or you're provocative about the conversation, right? So you can always answer back in a single sentence or a word, right? So it should not be that kind of a questions. The second important aspect of asking powerful questions is your questions being effective, which means that whenever you are asking a question for the team, it should invoke a thought process in that particular team. So they should be thinking in terms of whether they will go and arrive at the desired outcome by following a path or not. Right? So it should invoke a kind of thought process within the team, within the individuals, so that the desired outcomes can be achieved. The third important aspect is about asking reflective questions. Now, what does that mean is 
uh, it's equally important for a coach to first understand the problem statement. And most of the times so what happens is the problem could be something else and the statement that comes out will be something else, right? So sure. you might have to understand what the teams feel, what people think about it, right? So, so there is a lot of reflective questions which you might have to ask during the process of having the conversation. The fourth important aspect is you need to have questions which is solution focused. It should not be a problem focused because the more you dig into the problem, sure, it will so be kind of uh, your individuals or the teams will get more defensive, right? And you don't want the teams to do that, right? So do you want them to be opening up? You want them to discuss their uh, actually day-to-day -day challenges that they have been facing. So your question should be more towards uh, solution focused rather than uh, uh, what you say problem focused questions. So thank you uh, so much Sandeep for your valuable insights and stay tuned for our next podcast where Sandeep will be discussing about is agile coach, is an agile coach a good listener and definitely the importance of listening. Hello and welcome back to this session, podcast session with Sandeep and as promised today we will discuss why an agile coach should be a good listener. So Sandeep today in both the agile and non-agile world, listening looks like listening and engaged listening is a lost art. So people have much to say about nothing but there are very few good listeners. So uh, could you shed some light on why, what is the importance of listening for an agile coach? An agile coach basically has to know the people of the organization. One of the key things is to implement some change program in an organization to be successful, an agile coach has to know the people of the organization. And listening is one of the ways, the best way, where a connection establishes between the teams, an individual, or, or an organization as such, right? So it's very, it plays a very critical role, right? The Most of the times you would have uh, heard that uh, sometimes you don't even have to speak. It's more about having those listening skills which will help you to get connected with the people in your organization. Okay. Uh, so like what according to you can happen, what can be the challenges when an agile co coach uh, listens less and orders more or like speaks more, what if he is a good, not a good listener, what can be the possible challenges? Uh, the important is again if we start doing that uh, it will be mostly one way communication people will stop listening to what an agile coach really wants to implement that change in an organization right so it's important for an agile coach to be more of a listening to their people in the organization rather than me giving a lot of suggestions or consulting right so that's not how it works right so you should be able to listen that's when you will understand but believe me it's not easy because there is a lot of internal dialogues also which happens whenever you are having that conversations right so you have to get rid of all those uh, biases judgments which actually happens within the mind and just be open enough and just be not being judgmental to the people just listen to them that's how you try to connect or establish a relationship with the people 
Definitely. We absolutely agree. And that definitely brings us to the end of this podcast series. We would like to thank Sandeep once again for sharing his life experiences and as an agile coach, as an agile practitioner. And definitely being an agile coach, being an agile coach in a true sense is no easy street. So let's start practicing it today. Thank you. Hello and welcome to today's podcast session with Ashwini, Principal Agile Consultant and this is Isha and today Ashwini will be sharing with, with us very valuable insights about scaling Agile. So in today's world Ashwini, today's uh, software well, world where doing Agile is not enough and scaling it is equally important, in fact it is more important. Uh, so how do you define the importance of alignment, the importance of definitely we know it's better to be safe than sorry. Uh, so, what is the importance of alignment in scaled agile, or more correctly, safe? Yeah, uh, safe or the scaled agile framework. Uh, one of the core values in scaled agile framework is alignment. Rightly, as rightly you pointed out, right? I would look at this alignment as uh, different aspects. I'll I'll try to put in in terms of uh, maybe roles, the events that are there, and also the levels that are there, right? Um, let me go. I mean, one step at a time. So, if you think about uh, the events that are there, for example, in SAFE, at a team level you are already doing Scrum, but when it, when it comes to the program level uh, where you want to set a common goal for the team, you have a vision, you have a roadmap to achieve that one, how do I accomplish that one? That becomes an important thing. This is where something called as a PI planning comes in handy, which we call it as a heartbeat for an agile release train or the program, right? So here all the stakeholders of the program come together, they plan together, understanding what is it that we want to achieve for the next eight to 12 weeks typically, right? So this is where I mean, alignment comes in, where the product owners on the team, the product managers on the program, the teams that are working, scrum masters of each of the teams, release train engineer who is the chief scrum master for the entire train, our stakeholders, the business owners, even the person I mean, who is maybe sponsoring our program, right? They come together, plan for those two days, understanding what needs to be accomplished for the next few weeks, eight to 12 weeks, as I mentioned, right? That's one aspect of, uh, from an event perspective. Even when we start executing later, we have sync events where the Scrum Masters come together, do a Scrum of Scrum meeting, understanding how are we moving towards the goal, are there any impediments? Then the product owners meet together, understand are there any impediments we need to solve. What is, should come up for the next PI, right? Next program increment or the next release, right? They talk about that. So kind of, I mean, we see a lot of alignment between different roles and responsibilities within a program here. That's one portion. If I look at other things and say, right? I'll take up a, a portfolio level. Maybe your uh, organization is working at a level of a portfolio where you have a portfolio layer multiple programs are operating under it. Here, what we see is there is an alignment between the portfolio and the programs to the teams by way of making things, making things transparent, actually. If I look at the portfolio level, there is a Kanban, which kind of talks about what are the new initiatives coming in. The roles there, like your enterprise architect, the epic owners who have thought about a new idea, 
and also the lean portfolio managers work together to move those new initiatives, understanding the business value, and they analyze it and get get to say that okay, this is a good initiative for us to go ahead or a, a new new thought that we can implement, right? So they try to do that one and. By this way, they also make it very, very transparent and visible to the team saying that, okay, this is what is there coming up for you, right? Depending on the capacity, programs will take it up, execute, and implement. Another thought I mean, uh, is also, it is not just about the people's roles and just the backlogs that we have. Even the practices, if you see, right? Uh, SAFE talks about an agile release train as continuously exploring. That means that um, while the teams are executing, the product managers and the product owners are getting together and understanding what should come up next, right? They are already trying to do that one. Teams are continuously integrating. It may be on a near daily basis that they are integrating and making sure that I don't fail in the demos. I am I'm ready with the product increment whenever asked for, right? They deploy it on a staging environment or a pre-product environment, saying that, okay, our product is ready to be shipped. Do you want to ship? Business takes care of a decision of should I deliver it to the customer or should I wait for some more time to I mean, bundle up some more features and deliver it, right? So if you think about, it's not just about the roles or the product backlog or the um, team backlog itself, it's also about the practices also. They are also aligned. So end of the day, what this alignment talks about is we are all aligned, whatever levels we are in, understanding the overall company vision and the roadmap that we have, Putting it into a action at the team level, making sure that we deliver value. And this value is also understood by the management or the top layers as well, right? So the idea is to make sure that, I mean, seamlessly we are working at each levels, understanding our roles, responsibilities, priorities, what's the business value, how do we deliver it as well. So this is where the word alignment comes in, which talks about all the aspects and nitty-gritties of a large enterprise, I mean, which is moving towards scaled agile. Okay, absolutely. Uh, so on that note, I would really like to know, what according to you are the things, the most important things that SAFE, scaled agile or most SAFE accomplishes? I'll actually tie it back to the previous question that you have asked, sure. I mean, alignment, right? What does alignment um, represent or what does it do at the end of the day? Again, if you think about uh, SAFE's another three core values, I'll, um, for the benefit of the viewers, I'll talk about all the four core values. One is built-in quality, where we want to build the quality into the product, not I mean, inspect it later. We also worry about program execution. Alignment is the third one. Transparency being the fourth one. With this alignment, I see SAFE as an engagement framework rather than anything else. That's the most crucial and very, very important thing for me. End of the day, it's about people. Any framework, for that matter, it's about people. People on the ground actually working towards a common mission and a goal and vision that, they, that the company has it, right? For me, SAFE serves as an engagement framework, understanding each other roles, responsibilities that could be there in a large enterprise, the practices they might be using. And again, not to say that you have to go theoretically on a step one, two, three. But these are the patterns, practices, principles that are commonly available in the industry, which people have reaped benefit from. So SAFE tries to engage all the stakeholders on a common platform or a framework 
and help deliver a business value to a larger audience and uh, stakeholders, right? End of the day, it's about the people, engaging them, and delivering it at scale. That's what I would like to say. Okay. Uh, so definitely that concludes that SAFE is the safest option and is offers an inclusive platform yeah. to take your organization and your agile scaling efforts a slight notch higher. So thank you so much for the valuable insights, Ashwini. Hello and welcome to this podcast series with Preet, Principal Agile Consultant and this is Isha here. So today Preet will be answering a few crucial questions about Agile and management and leadership, the long-standing battle. Uh, so Preet, tell us uh, more about like uh, this Agile transformation. A lot is going on, organizations are struggling, they are staying, many of the organizations they are having staying half waterfall, half Agile. Uh, so typically, the managers get a lot of bad press here. So what do you think are managers the real barriers to a complete agile transformation? What's your take on this? Okay, before I really answer the question, uh, let's explore what management is, all right? Be it from a fairism standpoint or a scientific management standpoint, uh, it's all about economic efficiency and uh, labor productivity, right? So. The intent of management is to maximize labor productivity and increase your economic efficiency. The approach here is more about you know, creating a forecast, creating a plan, you know, executing that plan more in a controlled environment where the manager takes control of the situation and commands the people, the teams, as to what needs to get done so that you achieve a certain kind of a goal. Right. But now, uh, when you talk in terms of Agile, the idea here is we are going against the age-old management funder, wherein we are not trying to increase efficiency, but rather increase the adaptability of the organization. Right? More than looking at labor productivity, which I would really look at as an outcome, output, we really want to start looking at more of a organizational outcome, right? So rather than looking at the smaller units, we are really going to focus on the bigger goal and we are going to let the independent units of an organization come together and then start delivering it, right? So the approach that you really need in an agile transformation is not really about uh, managing it, but about letting it evolve, right? So. When you're saying agile, the reason what you're trying to do is you're trying to accommodate change, control risks, yes, but then it has to, it cannot be something which can be bound within an industrial era thinking. So this is where if a manager is more trying to maintain the status quo, right, this is going to impede with what we really want to try and achieve with an agile transformation. Right? Can you control the people and help expect them to self-organize? No, it, that's again impeding self-organization. Right? So a great manager with a certain set of tools which were functioning in the industrial, from the time of industrial revolution, is something that we really have to change because what we see today, the digital disruption, is something that has to be considered or compared with the industrial revolution itself and we have to really change the way we do things here. So yes, a manager 
could be an impediment to a successful agile transformation itself. Okay. Uh, so that was a really bold answer to one of the long-standing questions. In that case, from a management perspective, I would like to ask you, uh, what are the kinds of supports, support like an organization needs in that case to fully transform to agile? Okay. <clears throat> so here, um, let's start from the execution of the team level, right? One of the key components that you need for an agile transformation is what we call as the self-organizing teams. So when we say self-organizing teams, um, the independent uh, team members or the independent teams are at a liberty to inspect the work that they are conducting and adapt the way they are doing it, right? So rather than having an external person or an external authority who is monitoring and managing their work, we really want to delegate the delivery responsibility to the teams themselves. So it's more like you no know, letting the team the people closest to the work where the actual knowledge resides take decisions on their own right so here the kind of environment that you need to provide them is uh, where they can experiment they they come up with an hypothesis they run their experiment based on the outcome they change right they adapt the way they are functioning right so here so rather than trying to manage them we need somebody who is able to inspire them Right? If you really look at any of the big changes that has happened in the world, it's not by managing it, but by inspiring it. Right? Sure. Take the example of big organizations, right? the real successful organizations. Most of them are not really run from a con command and control perspective, but a leader who has a bold vision and he inspires the entire organizations to achieve it. Right? So setting the vision, inspiring people to achieve it, giving them a safe space to experiment, you know, giving them a safe space wherein they know it's okay to fail. And a failure is what? Failure is when you don't learn from your mistakes. Right? So giving them that flexibility to make mistakes and learn from it and then adapt and move forward. Right? Only then can self-organization come into picture. Um, it's very similar like, to parenting wherein you, know, you can tell the kids what to do, what not to do, but there are certain things wherein you l need to let them do it and learn on their own as to why they shouldn't be doing it, right? So that's a very similar thing that we want to do in self-organization. So now if you need to achieve this, you really cannot have management, but you really need what we right now call as uh, servant leadership model, right? So here it's a leader who can be an authority figure, but who is not interested in accumulating power but rather is interested in you know, spreading his power to the organizations in a way that they can really take up the challenges that are coming to them. They can self-organize and then start delivering results. So I think the shift that we really need to create is moving away from management to more about leadership. It's about leading the transformation and not really trying to manage the transformation. Okay, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so in that case, if it is more about leadership and less about management, mm -hmm. that definitely brings us to this leader-manager dilemma. So mm -hmm. you tell us, Preet, can a manager be a leader? That's a very tough question. Okay. Yeah. Can managers be a leader? Yes, definitely. Because management is uh, primarily from a position of authority. A leader is primarily a quality that is being displayed. So can a manager be a leader? Yes, he can be. But the 
primary concern or the point of references of all kinds of decision making of the manager needs to start changing now. Right? Traditionally, a manager is looking at what are the risks that are possible, how, trying to manage that risk even much before it occurs. Right? It really sounds the right thing to do. But then the question is, are you helping the team learn that? Does the team even realize there was a risk? Is your team ready to handle a situation which was very similar if it happens in the future? Right? So it's more about enabling the people which may not be sitting well with the management funders. Right? Um, management is more about, con it's more about no, controlling the people. Whereas leadership is more about inspiring the people, right? So, can a manager be a good leader? Yes, he can be, but you no, know, he has to definitely change the mindset. You no, know, I know mindset is a loaded term, but the or the entire decision-making framework, what a manager has been carrying so far, may have to be relooked at, possibly changed, to move from being a people manager to a leader who's just inspiring actions there. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so on a closing note, since you earlier mentioned that scrum teams or agile teams, those are mainly like they should be given the opportunity to be self-organized and self-managed. So if they achieve that, if they come to that point really, so uh, will the role of a manager in an agile team be necessary at all? Will it be a little redundant? Um, management per se is not definitely going away, right? So uh, the people management aspects is what uh, I think we really mean by saying managers, right? Yes, that ma people management aspect is something that we have delegated back to the team saying, okay, you self-organize. But there are management in terms of who's going to manage the process, who's going to manage the business, right? So management per se continues. But the way it is being done in an agile environment is very different from a traditional environment, right? So as the, as the saying goes, when you move from a traditional way of doing things to an agile way of doing things, um, job security is there, a role security may not be, right? The, because that's the change that agile can bring along with it. Okay, definitely. So that was definitely a good share of insights on how traditional management can never ever work for Agile. And we would like to thank Preet once again for his valuable insights and feedback and knowledge. Thank you so much. Hello and welcome to this podcast series with Preet, Principal Agile Consultant, and this is Isha here. So today, Preet will be answering a few crucial questions about Agile and management and leadership, the long-standing battle. Uh, so Preet, tell us uh, more about like uh, this Agile transformation. A lot is going on. Organizations are struggling. They are staying. Many of the organizations, they are even staying half waterfall, half Agile. Uh, so typically, the managers get a lot of bad press here. So what do you think are managers the real barriers to a complete Agile transformation? What's your take on this? Okay, before I really answer the question, uh, let's explore what management is, all right? Be it from a federalism standpoint or a scientific management standpoint, uh, it's all about economic efficiency and uh, labor productivity, 
right. So, the intent of management is to maximize labor productivity and increase your economic efficiency. The approach here is more about you know, creating a forecast, creating a plan, you know, executing that plan more in a controlled environment where the manager takes control of the situation and commands the people, the teams as to what needs to get done so that you achieve a certain kind of a goal. Right. But now, uh, when you talk in terms of Agile, the idea here is we are going against the age-old management fund, wherein we are not trying to increase efficiency, but rather increase the adaptability of the organization. Right? More than looking at labor productivity, which I would really look at as an outcome, output, we really want to start looking at more of a organizational outcome, right? So rather than looking at the smaller units, we are really going to focus on the bigger goal and we are going to let the independent units of an organization come together and then start delivering it, right? So the approach that you really need in an agile transformation is not really about managing it, but about letting it evolve, right? So. When you're saying agile, the reason what you're trying to do is you're trying to accommodate change, control risks, yes, but then it has to, it cannot be something which can be bound within an industrial era thinking. So this is where if a manager is more trying to maintain the status quo, right, this is gonna impede with what we really wanna try and achieve with an agile transformation. Right? Can you control the people and help expect them to self-organize? No, it, that's again impeding self-organization. Right? So a great manager with a certain set of tools which were functioning in the industrial, from the time of industrial revolution, is something that we really have to change because what we see today, the digital disruption, is something that has to be considered or compared with the industrial revolution itself and we have to really change the way we do things here. So yes, a manager could be an impediment to a successful agile transformation itself. Okay, uh, so that was a really bold answer to one of the long-standing questions. In that case, from a management perspective, I would like to ask you, uh, what are the kinds of supports support like an organization needs in that case to fully transform to agile okay <clears throat> so here um, let's start from the execution of the team level right one of the key components that you need for an agile transformation is what we call as the self-organizing teams so when we say self-organizing teams um, the independent uh, team members or the independent teams are at a liberty to inspect the work that they are conducting and adapt the way they are doing it, right? So rather than having an external person or an external authority who is monitoring and managing their work, we really want to delegate the delivery responsibility to the teams themselves. So it's more like you no know, letting the team, the people closest to the work where the actual knowledge resides, take decisions on their own, right? So here, the kind of environment that you need to provide them is uh, where they can experiment, they, they come up with an hypothesis, they run their experiment, based on the outcome, they change, right? They adapt the way they are functioning, 
right? So here, so rather than trying to manage them, we need somebody who is able to inspire them. Right? If you really look at any of the big changes that has happened in the world, it's not by managing it, but by inspiring it. Right? Sure. Take the example of big organizations, right? the real successful organizations. Most of them are not really run from a con command and control perspective, but a leader who has a bold vision and he inspires the entire organizations to achieve it. Right? So setting the vision, inspiring people to achieve it, giving them a safe space to experiment, you know, giving them a safe space wherein they know it's okay to fail. And a failure is what? Failure is when you don't learn from your mistakes. Right? So giving them that flexibility to make mistakes and learn from it and then adapt and move forward. Right? Only then can self-organization come into picture. Um, it's very similar like to parenting, wherein you, know, you can tell the kids what to do, what not to do, but there are certain things wherein you need to let them do it and learn on their own as to why they shouldn't be doing it. Right? So that's a very similar thing that we want to do in self-organization. So now if you need to achieve this, you really cannot have management, but you really need what we right now call as uh, servant leadership model. Right? So here it's a leader who can be an authority figure, but who is not interested in accumulating power, but rather is interested in you know, spreading his power to the organizations in a way that they can really take up the challenges that are coming to them. They can self-organize and then start delivering results. So I think the shift that we really need to create is moving away from management to more about leadership. It's about leading the transformation and not really trying to manage the transformation. Okay, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so in that case, if it is more about leadership <coughs> and less about management, mm -hmm. that definitely brings us to this leader-manager dilemma. So mm -hmm. you tell us, Preet, can a manager be a leader? That's a very tough question. Okay. Yeah. Can managers be a leader? Yes, definitely. Because management is uh, primarily from a position of authority. A leader is primarily a quality that is being displayed. So can a manager be a leader? Yes, he can be. But the primary concern or the point of references of all kinds of decision making of the manager needs to start changing now. Right? Traditionally, a manager is looking at what are the risks that are possible, how, trying to manage that risk even much before it occurs. Right? It really sounds the right thing to do. But then the question is, are you helping the team learn that? Does the team even realize there was a risk? Is your team ready to handle a situation which was very similar if it happens in the future? Right? So it's more about enabling the people which may not be sitting well with the management funders. Right? Um, management is more about, con it's more about no, controlling the people. Whereas leadership is more about inspiring the people, right? So can a manager be a good leader? Yes, he can be, but you know, it, he has to definitely change the mindset. You know, I know mindset is a loaded term, but the, or the entire decision-making framework, what a manager has been carrying so far, may have to be re-looked at, possibly changed to move from being a people manager to a leader who's just inspiring actions there. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so on a closing note, since you earlier mentioned that 
scrum teams or agile teams those are mainly like they should be given the opportunity to be self organized and self managed so if they achieve that if they come to that point really so uh, will the role of a manager in an agile team be necessary at all will it be a little redundant um management per se is not definitely going away right so uh, the people management aspects is what uh, i think we really mean by saying managers right yes that ma people management aspect is something that we have delegated back to the team saying okay you self organize but there are management in terms of who's going to manage the process who's going to manage the business right so management per se continues but the way it is being done in an agile environment is very different from a traditional environment right so as the as the saying goes when you move from a traditional way of doing things to an agile way of doing things um, job security is there a role security may not be right the, because that's the change that agile can bring along with it okay definitely so that was definitely a good share of insights on how traditional management can never ever work for agile and we would like to thank preet once again for his valuable insights and feedback and knowledge thank you so much hello and a big welcome to this podcast series with sumit and this is isha here so we will do a myth busting session here where sumit will talk about the frequently asked questions in agile and mostly the myths that have been growing around around agile mainly uh, so sumit often this uh, this statement gets thrown around a lot in agile like a sprint backlog can change during a sprint what's really your take on this please yeah isha uh, th this is a uh, some question which actually comes to me during my uh, workshops that uh, the sprint backlog can't change or it can't change now see uh, it's very important for us to understand what sprint backlog is first of all the general perception uh, for the sprint backlog is a development team during the sprint planning uh, they will uh, pull the work from the product backlog and they'll commit to that this is a sprint backlog according to them i'm sorry now if this is the case now you are actually committing to the scope now if you are committing to something the change is always resistance now if we take a, another look at the sprint uh, backlog now sprint backlog uh, it is um, your goal for the sprint and the work that you forecast sure. now when we say work that we forecast it actually gives you flexibility now uh, the events that we have like a daily scrum where we usually make a statement that uh, daily scrum is for the development team where they inspect their progress towards the sprint goal and they adapt to that particular day plan which very well says uh, the sprint backlog can change now whenever you actually pick some work and you start working on that you might get some insight you might need to do some work which you never planned for that we as we are into complex zone we cannot plan our future or we cannot plan the future work for a sprint also so it it can evolve so the short answer if i would say uh, sprint backlog can change yes it can change it can evolve it can change so sumit i really get the smell of this one of this uh, core agile values here which is responding to change instead of following a plan yeah. uh, so if 
this is one of the grand values, then why is there so much of resistance to change if it is happening within a sprint? So, Isha, I was actually talking uh, in the previous uh, question that you asked me. See, as a team, as a development team, if we are committing to the scope and if there is a change from the business in that, there is always a resistance because business goes with the commitment. Now, why there is a resistance? Because usually people take this uh, practice where they will not come up with the sprint goal at all. Okay. And they'll just take the work and what is the goal of the sprint? To deliver that work. Now if some business comes with a business opportunity, the first step happen is, no, we cannot take the work because we'll not be able to focus on this particular sprint deliverables. That's where the resistance comes. But if you see that, that okay, if we start the sprint with the goal, that okay, this is a goal and we commit to that goal and we keep our scope flexible, why not? We can actually accept the change, we can respond to change. And respond to change doesn't necessarily mean that, okay, yes, we have to change something within the sprint. If it can wait for the next sprint, why not? But we are here to serve business. If business sees an opportunity which has to go to the market, yes, we have to accept the change. Now, when we have to accept the change, we should be really be particular about if this change going to disrupt or can obsolete a sprint goal, then as per Scrum, we have to cancel that sprint. No doubt product owner has to take a call on that. Cancel the sprint, plan for the next business opportunity and start your sprint. Okay. Uh, so I'm really curious here, uh, like since you mentioned like the scope can change. So if the scope itself can change, what is it exactly that the development team is committing to? <laughs> so, uh, see, um, as I mentioned again, it is the goal. For every sprint, you are doing that sprint for a purpose. And if you do not have a purpose to do the sprint, then I think you are doing some work which is not required. What is the objective? Why you are actually running that sprint? If you know that objective purpose, you actually commit to that purpose, which we call it as a sprint goal. And then, remaining work is a forecast, which actually gives you flexibility to experiment. The flexibility to deal with the changes that happen during the sprint. Uh, so that answers one of the Im most important questions in Agile. And uh, definitely thank you, Sumit, once again for um, answering the question. And there's uh, surely one strong takeaway from this. What, no matter what, you cannot miss out on the business, business opportunities that come your way, the business outcomes. You cannot afford to do that. So thank you so much.